0: And you'd rather have a friend than a foe, wouldn't you say? But life isn't always like that, is it? I'm sure you would rather drive this nice-looking red sports car along a summer's road than have to try and jumpstart in the middle of winter. You would, wouldn't you? Let's face it, we all would. And we all go to great lengths, it seems, to plan our life to make sure things go smooth. We'd rather go camping in Glacier Park in the sunshine... Than we would tonight in the snow. We take great efforts. You think about your life. We all take great efforts to make sure things run smooth. But they don't always. Do any of you know who this man is? Probably not. His name is Horatio Gates Spafford. He lived in the mid-1800s in Chicago. He was a wealthy lawyer, attorney. He married Anna, who became his wife, and as their family expanded, they had four children. Little Annie, obviously named after her mother, and then they had Maggie, then they had Bessie, and then they had Tanita. Four little girls. They were quite wealthy, they lived back in Chicago, like I say, but there was a fire in Chicago, and a lot of Horatio Spafford's real estate was burned up. And a lot of the city was burned up, if you remember, back there in the Midwest. And so Horatio was going to go with his family over to Europe. Several reasons people cite, his, his wife's health, the children going to school. But they're on their way to Europe. And so they got on the ship, Ville de Havre, there in, on the New York coast, and they were going to head over to Europe. Well, at the last minute, Horatio... The father got called to take care of some of the real estate that he was involved in. So he didn't go. He waved off his wife and his four daughters. And this is the ages they were. The youngest there being 18 months. And they waved them off. And then tragedy struck. The Ville de half, the steam luxury liner, was rammed accidentally by another vessel and sank within two hours. 219 people died in two hours off the coast of Newfoundland in December. The mother was found alive. The four children all died. The youngest died or was swept from a mother's arms. The mother was rescued. She was clinging on to some debris, and she was almost unconscious when she was found. She was in the water, in December, off the coast of Newfoundland. Almost dead, but she was saved. And she was taken on to Cardiff, Wales, where the survivors were taken. And there, she cabled a message. You know, there wasn't communication like we have it today. This was back in the 1800s, 1871. She cabled a message back to her husband in Chicago. Saved alone. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine being Horatio Spafford just for one moment? Of course, Horatio immediately booked his ticket, got on an ocean liner and headed over to Cardiff, Wales to bring his wife back. As they were sailing along, the captain called him aside and he said, Mr. Spafford, I do believe that at this point we are right over the place where the de half went down the water's 3 miles deep at that point horatio went back to his cabin of course couldn't sleep very good but he started to pen some words this is what he wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll you recognize these words what we just sang Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford didn't just say those words, that came from a heart experience. And we need to come to the point in our Christian experience where we can say, it is well with my soul. Even if tragedy strikes Turn with me in your Bibles or you can read it off the screen or take a note. 1 Peter 4:12 it says, "Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you." Don't think it's strange when you're a Christian that bad things happen to you. The Bible says, "Don't think it's strange." Expect it in other words, It's not strange that we get snow in Montana through the winter, is it? We expect it. We can expect trials. A lady called me on the phone a little while ago. She was talking about some of the trials that she had been through, the ministry that we're involved in. People often call us. And she said, she was really answering her own questions. I was just being a listening ear. But she said, I wouldn't have learned what I've learned if I hadn't have been through what I've been through. And that's the same for all of us. And God knows that, so that's why God directs our path sometimes, places where we wouldn't want to go. This is a great quote, one of my favorite quotes from my favorite author. It's from the magazine article, Review and Herald, April 10, 1894. A refining, purifying process is going on among the people of God, and the Lord of hosts has set his hand to this work. This process is most trying to the soul, but it is necessary in order that defilement may be removed. Trials are essential in order that we may be brought close to our Heavenly Father. That is one of the reasons why God gives us trials, allows us to have trials. Hebrews 12, 11 is another Bible verse. Now, no chastening, that's no corrective discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are being trained by it. Are you being trained by the trials that come your way? Or are they crushing you? They can train us. Turn with me in your Bibles. I'd like you to look here in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar. This is verse 1, just to give us a setting. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. So here, this is different to what we had in Daniel 2. This is Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. Well, he didn't want his kingdom to be superseded. So he made a great big image. Read the whole of Daniel 3 when you get a chance. It's very interesting. So he made this big image of gold and he wanted everybody to bow down to it. Daniel must have been out of town because he's not mentioned in Daniel 3. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were Daniel's three friends, they were there. And they didn't bow down. When the music sounded, everybody bowed down. But those three worthies, we often call them, they didn't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar was mad that these people didn't bow down. And that we'll pick it up in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage, that was his countenance, was changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace, because they were going to throw them in the furnace for disobedience. Heat the furnace one seven times more than it wanted to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Now, I want you to mark a word here. And these men were bound, mark that word bound, in their coats... In their hose, in their hats, in all their clothes, in other words, and other garments. And were cast into the mist of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the people who threw them in got killed just for getting near the flame. Verse 23... And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, there's that word again, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men, bound, three times, bound, in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men. Loose, not bound, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Of course, that was Jesus himself. What did the furnace, what did the furnace of trial do for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They went in bound, and they came out loosed, free. And that's what trials will do for us, if we let them. If we trust in the Lord, he'll be right there with us. How to get a blessing from trials. I'm going to go through six points of how to get a blessing from trials. If you're taking notes, it'll be worth writing these ones down. We must not look upon trial as punishment. You know, sometimes we do do things wrong and we mess up and we end up getting a trial as a result of it. But that's just the cause and effect that we spoke about last night, the consequences of wrong acts. Don't look upon trials as a punishment. God is not trying to punish us that way. He's trying to guide us. He's trying to refine us like the fire. Number two. If we're going to get a blessing out of trials, we must not compare ourselves among ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10.12 tells us that. You know, one of the things it's easy to ask in a trial is, why me? Or why not him? And... And why now? Why not later? We have to put all those kinds of questions aside because we, can, we haven't got the answers to all of that. So don't compare yourself. Why isn't it happening to him? He's a worse guy than me. How come it's me who's getting the trial? Take your eyes off of the people. Put your eyes on the Lord. Number three, remember that everything that comes our way is weighed and measured in heaven before it gets anywhere near us. Do we serve a God of love? Does does he protect us? Do you believe that? Then if trials come our way, we can say that they have been weighed and measured in heaven before God allows them to come our way. With every temptation, there is a way of escape. Number four, don't lose heart. God is not against us. You know, sometimes when trials come, especially to new babes, new Christians... And the devil knows this. So immediately after somebody gives their heart to the Lord, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes, something will happen. Oh, it's no good. And they get turned away. God is not against us. God is for us. And anything he allows to come, we can bear through Christ. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It's it's great. Just watch it on the screen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing through the trials, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, because we're only here for 70 years, is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, the things that happen on the outside, it's only temporary. But God is trying to cleanse our hearts because that's eternal. That's what God wants us to take into eternity. Number five, ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me? You know, in any trial, God normally has a purpose. He's trying to teach us something. What is God trying to teach me? How did I get into this mess? Examine the emotions that are going on at that time and and try and figure out what is God trying to teach me for the future. Number six, when you recognize the problem, and I'll tell you what the problem will be. In every trial, the problem's always the same. Itself has got all jangled up and does not like it. It might be that somebody else said something they shouldn't have said. It might have been that somebody else did something they shouldn't have done. But that wouldn't be a trial unless there was a self. So when you find out what the problem is, and you recognize the problem, surrender to Jesus Christ. Let him have his way in you. Because you know what? If we don't, and I've experienced this, come a few years later, or a few months later, or a few weeks later, we find ourselves. Back at the same place. <laughs> Review. Trials are not punishment. Don't compare. Don't ask why me. Number three. Everything is weighed and measured. Number four. Don't lose heart. God loves us. Number five. Ask. What is God trying to teach me? And number six. Surrender self and the problem to Christ. One text to close with. 1 Peter 1.7. It says, that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth. Did you know that the trials that come into your life are more precious than gold? A car that breaks down in the winter is more precious than gold. Camping in winter is more precious than gold. A foe is more precious than a friend. When it comes to eternal things, yes. It's what the scripture says. Be more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory. When? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. I guarantee, dear friends, that God will lead your path through some trials between now and when he comes again. Don't fight them. Learn the lessons and we shall be as pure as gold when he comes.